The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And those were the words of the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What's up, what's up, what's up, Snap Survivors? I am Tasha Pierce. This is After the Snap, a virtual refugee camp for everyone affected by Thanos' snap. And today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the States. And today is a day to celebrate the life and achievements of Dr. Martin Luther King. It is also not called a day off. It's called a day on. Today is a day that we are supposed to further the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King by doing what we can to combat controversies, injustices, and anything that is uh, oppressive to our fellow man. You You can celebrate this anywhere in the world because these are ideals we all share. It is not exclusive to us in the states maybe the maybe the situations that surrounded the civil rights movement and the civil rights era may be uh more prominently known to have been affected in the states but the ideals behind the movement can be shared worldwide and i'm going to invite you to do that with me today Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me once again for another episode of After the Snap. And it's a Tuesday episode, and Tuesday episodes are usually one-off. We usually chill because uh, we know that Fridays are our watch parties. So it's a regimen on Fridays. We don't have to have a regimen on Tuesdays. But today, given the fact that it is a national holiday here in the United States, and it is uh, celebrating the life again of Dr. Martin Luther King and I was thinking of a way to tie it into an episode and what better way than to discuss a property that Marvel Studios will soon regain. So a lot of excitement is brewing in the Marvel fandom surrounding the impending acquisition of a cache of characters from Fox and this cache of characters includes the X-Men. Now, some may think, well, what does that have to do with the civil rights movement? And some of you may be saying, duh, like it's a no-brainer. But that is what I'm going to discuss today. Similarities between the X-Men and the civil rights movement, Professor X and Dr. King, Magneto, and Malcolm X. The first X-Men comics debuted in September 1963 and initially wasn't an allegory for civil rights at all. Had nothing to do with it. The storylines, as they continued over the years, there became a situation where by the X-Men being mutants and mutants being generally unaccepted by, uh, by the human culture, quote unquote human culture, the, the comparisons began. So the conflict between the mutants and normal humans became compared to real world conflicts. 
and those conflicts are generally experienced by minority groups in America, such as the African Americans, the Jews, uh, religious groups, the LGBT community, the transgender community, etc. Those things began to be compared to what was going on in the comic books with the mutants and the normal humans. So it was not initially the case, but Professor X has come to be compared to civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. and Magneto to the more militant Malcolm X. And the X-Men's purpose is sometimes referred to as achieving Xavier's dream. Perhaps a reference to King's historic, I have a dream speech. And also, Magneto in the first film quotes Malcolm X with the line, by any means necessary. Also, the comic books portrayed mutants as victims of mob violence. And uh, we know that in a darker time in American history, African-Americans before the civil rights movement were customarily lynched. Uh, Then we see the Sentinels and anti-mutant hate groups such as Friends of Humanity, Humanity's Last Stand, the Church of Humanity, and Strikers Purifiers. Those groups are thought to represent oppressive forces like the Ku Klux Klan. And they give a form of denial to civil rights and amendments. And by the 1980s, the comic featured a plot involving the fictional island of Genosha, where the mutants were segregated and enslaved by an apartheid state. And we do know that this similar situation was occurring in South Africa at pretty much the same time we see allegories to anti-Semitism. So especially because Magneto is a Holocaust survivor and he sees the situation that the mutants are in similar to those of the Jews in Nazi Germany. And he does not, uh, in fact, he said the words never again in a 1992 episode of the X-Men series, the cartoon. So basically we see him, a Holocaust survivor saying, I've seen this all before and I'm not going to see it again. And that shapes who Magneto becomes. And then we also see uh, pretty much a lot of nationalities and uh, different sexual minorities. The comparisons to being a mutant and the LGBT community. So that by the time that these, these things become prominent in mutants is around puberty and they become they are either very out and proud of their mutant abilities or they're closeted and they conceal their mutant abilities. And even in one of those movies, the mother of uh, Iceman, she asked him, have you ever tried to not be a mutant? Just like uh, a person would say to uh, finding out that their child is uh, gay or lesbian or transgender. Have you ever tried to not be that? So, a lot of social issues having a light shown on them through the X-Men comics. And over the years, there have been the debates that uh, Professor X is not modeled after uh, Martin Luther King. However, he is modeled after Malcolm X. Yes, that is the argument in a lot of circles. And that argument starts with the fact that Professor X teaches his, his students self-defense. And that is something that Martin would have never uh, advocated for. In fact, when being spit upon, uh, rocks thrown at, 
all the different ways that you could degrade, demean, and also hurt a person. When those things were going on, they actually just stood there and absorbed it. I respect the strength that it takes to remain tranquil amidst violent torrents of hate and intolerance. And I, I often I often imagine how difficult it must have been to have lived in the civil rights era. Honestly, I don't think I would have survived. And I say that, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, from my generation say that we don't really know how we would have reacted having been born and raised under that level of contempt. But uh, how much fortitude did it take to not simply survive, but to peacefully protest, become activists for change? And uh, this sounds absurd in 2019, but become activists for change and acceptance. And that's just what Professor X wanted, for mutants to be accepted, not feared, not hunted and killed, not treated as less than human. They wanted to be accepted. And these are the same ideals that Dr. King desired. And he wanted to obtain that through love because hate is too great a burden to bear. And of course, I'll revisit these uh, ideals again in the future because I do want to make my case for Magneto slash Malcolm especially since we know that we're getting a Dark Phoenix movie later on in the year. I think I will, uh, because that'll be after Endgame, I think we will revisit this subject again in the lead up to Dark Phoenix. How many people are looking forward to that movie? Let me know. Send me an email or hit me up on any of our social media pages. Let me know if you are excited or at least looking forward to at least curious to see uh dark phoenix back to the subject if you're part of any marginalized group uh, people of color lgbt etc and you reside in the states you owe dr king a debt of gratitude because of his uh leadership and the, the perseverance of the oppressed we have a precedent and a precedent of what is fair and equal treatment. And we can lawfully demand to be treated accordingly. So today, especially, I remember Dr. King and thank everyone who sacrificed so much, including their lives. And because I may be remind, need to be reminded that I'm going to revisit this, this uh, topic, you guys know how to catch up with me to keep me on my toes but I'm going to move on and uh, talk about to the, the first episode of Star Trek Discovery. Really briefly, this is the second season of Star Trek Discovery, and we meet up with the Discovery crew as they meet up with the crew of the Enterprise. And this is an exciting moment because it was just remarkable to see these two ships meet in space. It was just a... Uh, the, the visuals are remarkable. That I don't know how else to say it. Um, they are not on par of James Wan's Aquaman or uh, Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, but they are something else for a television show. So we see those crews meet up, and we are getting what the basis is for this season of Discovery. One of the things is uh, Michael Burnham, 
who is played by Sonequa Martin-Green, will be meeting up with her foster brother, Spock, at some time in this season. And uh, that is something to look forward to. We also met uh, Captain Pike, who, if if you remember your Star Trek lore, was the captain of the Discovery before Kirk. So in the original uh, pilot episode for the original series of Star Trek, Kirk was not the captain. The only crew member that is common between the the pilot and what we got as the original series is Spock. Spock was the science officer on board the Enterprise under Captain uh, under Captain Pike, and he uh, his first officer was uh, only known as Number One. And she was played by um, Majo Barrett Roddenberry, who was married to the creator of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. But that's going into a, a whole different side of the Star Trek story. We're talking about Discovery here. So we meet Captain Pike. And his role is to take over the Discovery as captain because they are investigating a series of lights that that showed up in across space in synchronization. So that kind of ruled out the chaos of natural order or something natural happening. It had to be something that was planned. So when they decided to investigate these lights, all of them except for one went out. And as they followed those lights, well, that particular light, they run into a, a ship a Starfleet vessel. It was a medical vessel and it had gone down in the Klingon war from the first season of Discovery. So they rescued the living complement of, of the crew and come back, brought them back to Discovery. We are seeing that Spock is not among the Enterprise crew who uh, have joined this, the Discovery and we find out it's because Spock went on leave, which is just something that is simply unheard of in the original series. Rarely did Spock take leave. But in this Discovery season, he has. And he's taken leave of absence because he believes he knows what is going on with these red lights. And he believes that it is something uh, that he has figured out and that he needs to personally investigate we also saw a very young creepy spock child <laughs> and that's the only way that i can uh, describe him he's a creepy spock child and we we saw when he and michael first met when she first came to live with uh spock and his parents the episode was a really good first episode. And, and the thing is, it wasn't good to me the first time I watched it. I had to watch it a second time to get a full understanding, get a content, get, get a real grip on what the storyline actually was. It was kind of, I won't say complex because I, I can follow complex plots. The first time I watched it, it did not resonate with me 
And I think maybe you hear these words resonate because it got me thinking about that one short trek with Saru's family that did not resonate well with me. And I think I need to give that short trek a second chance just because uh, it took me two times watching this first episode of Star Trek Discovery for season two for me to say, you know what, this is a good episode. This is, we're off to a pretty decent start for season two. And I'm I'm very excited for Thursday to come so we can follow up on what happened in the first episode. I also got an opportunity to watch the third episode of The Orville. And I don't know if I mentioned that the first episode of the Orville, the second season, didn't sit well with me at all. The humor was just a little too juvenile. The plot was not engaging enough for me to say, yes, this is a great start. And the second episode of the Orville, I felt a little better. That was the one where Bordis has uh, developed this porn addiction and it is wreaking havoc on his professional life and his marriage. That was that premise or the second episode. The the humor in regular Seth MacFarlane fashion, it, it was a, a little juvenile. And sometimes he carries a joke just two steps too far. I, I noticed that in the second episode and I'm like, man, can we strike a balance? Can we get a balance between the humor and the story, the sci, the sci-fi part of his story, and I think we got a winner in uh in episode three, season two of the Orville. That one featured quite heavily some of the old cast of different Star Trek iterations. So that was interesting. Uh, we saw the Doctor from Voyager. We saw the Doctor from Enterprise. This episode was everything so if this is where this series is going I'm along for the ride I'm not gonna complain I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy the Orville and it doesn't have to stay there I know Seth MacFarlane is definitely known for his comedy but uh, I really like what he did with the third episode of this season and as it turns out, and it's been rumored, uh, I, I am a subscriber to a YouTube channel called Egotastic Fun Time. And he's been pretty much spoiling that we are going to lose the security officer on, or you call a tactical officer on the Orville, uh, that this was going to be the season that she exited. And turns out he was correct. And she exited this season on the third episode but how it happened is this this uh tactical officer is a member of the Salean race and her race on her planet have a higher field of gravity so when she comes to the Orville or Earth or anywhere with a lower field of gravity of course she is much stronger in those uh lower fields of gravity than she is on her home planet she exhibits extraordinary strength. Well, what we found out is that her uh, her density, her her bone density, actually her whole metabolism was conforming to Earth's gravity because that's what 
what is on the uh, Orville ship. And because it's become getting so used to Earth's gravity, she's losing her strength. Bones are breaking during tasks that would normally uh, not affect her. The only cure is to go back to her planet for some time and uh, regain her strength by being in that higher field of gravity. So she goes home and we find out that her family is a family of intellectuals where strength and uh, using your body for labor is not uh, a respected field. The only thing that is respected in her family and pretty much on her planet is intellect. So her family kind of is pushing her in a direction to go to school, even though she's slower than uh, most of the people on the planet. And she is saying that she wants her family to just accept her for who she is and to respect the decisions that she's made with her life. At this time, she's confined to a wheelchair because her body is not used to this higher field of gravity yet. It is uh, pushing heavily on her. So she has to use the wheelchair because she will not even be able to stand and walk in this higher field of gravity. And that kind of plays a part in what goes on later in the episode because her family is taken hostage by some uh so a family um, a husband and wife who lost their child because of an intellectual paper that was written by her father and i just keep referring to her as her her name is alara so alara's family is being held hostage and uh smarts is not going to get them out of this it's going to take some some brute strength it's, it's going to take manually doing something uh, being able to think on your toes and actually fight back to get out of the situation and Alara gets out of her wheelchair and she saves her family and I know I'm making this sound very very mundane and bland but it is an excellent episode if you have not watched at least season two episode three of the Orville what are you waiting for? Because it was an excellent episode. And a lot of times I say what I say. I mean what I mean. But I can say if the Orville continues to have stories like this one going forward, it will definitely be a, a must watch for any sci-fi fan. No, I'm not saying that it's Star Trek. I don't even want it to be Star Trek. A lot of people have gotten that in their head where, oh, it has to be the next Trek. No, it can be the first Orville. And that's what I'm looking for. And this episode definitely uh, set it apart from anything that I've seen on Trek. It could, except for the characters. There were a lot of those characters. <laughs> but it set it apart from anything that I've seen on Discovery. This is not taking anything away from Discovery. Discovery has a very direct planned uh, season. And they're, they're, the way their seasons go, each, each episode builds on the one before it. So you have to watch the whole season. It's kind of like watching your Game of Thrones or your, uh, what, is, what is the other one that everybody likes? Game of Thrones and Walking Dead. I've never gotten into those. So kick me in the butt 
next time you see me for never getting into them. I've never gotten into Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead, but I understand that it has a huge following. I'm not taking anything away from it, from you. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of those shows. I'm saying that Discovery started off on the right foot. And the Orville, it appears, is finding its footing. I hope it continues on the path that it's on. Um, the only other show that I got into, of course, is My Young Justice. Three more episodes came out this past Friday. And those three episodes were three stories that kind of tie together. And they show us what our outsiders are kind of up to. And it also elaborated on who the villains are for this season. Because I am trying to encourage everybody to get DC Universe and watch Young Justice Outsiders show. I'm trying to encourage you to do that. I'm not going to spoil it right here. If you like spoilers, you can hit me over at the YouTube channel. Because I will be putting a YouTube video up this week. In fact, I may possibly wait uh, until Friday when the new episodes come out. And then I'll, I'll do six episodes of Young Justice Outsider uh, recap. I've already got the recap for episodes one through three and uh, four through six. So I got to give you seven through ten and then I'm going to give you <laughs> then I'm going to give you eleven through thirteen. But all of that will be on the YouTube channel. You can still you can find it after the snap. You, you may have to search the channel after the snap searching by channel because uh, I'm not big enough to just show up yet. In fact, I'm not big at all. I got a whole eight subscribers. Only thing that's missing is you. So subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give me a little support. The Finding out that the way YouTube works is I've got to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours watched to monetize that channel. And yes, I, I think I told you guys last episode, a sister is working for less than 10 bucks an hour, and I'm really not used to that. <laughs> so yes, I do need to find a way to monetize something, but I'm still putting out content, whether I'm getting paid or not. How about that? I might... As a matter of fact, I'm going to pause this and by the power of technology, I'm going to come back and I'll probably have an in-game theory for you that I was looking at the other day and I want to make sure that I get right. So pause right here for you and I'll come back through the power of technology probably an hour later with a in-game theory, I think. And just like that, how about that presto? I use the time stone. Okay, speaking of the time stone, this might not have anything to do with the time stone. However, something that even I was thinking about, but this is uh, worded well. It's quick and to the point, and yeah, it's written well, and it's quick and it's to the point, and it actually ties into the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer that I quickly spoke to you guys about this past whatever day that was <laughs> okay so okay here we go feige told the truth far from home is set right after the events of endgame but what if there is an unsnap in endgame 
one that doesn't just see everyone undusted, but that through the use of the Infinity Stones themselves, resets the world to a point where Thanos never attacked Earth at all, erasing the attack, the decimation, and everyone's memories of it. This explains why Peter has the original Stark suit in the Far From Home trailer, as opposed to the Iron Spider suit. The attack never happened, so Peter never got off the bus on his way back from the field trip to the Museum of Modern Art. As such, he never got the Iron Spider suit. I like it. And another thing, I don't, I, I'm still disturbed by all these cats. And then if we think about the, uh, and I know you're, you're like, what cat? If you watch the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, there were at least three cats in that trailer. At least. Just all in just little random places. One of them was like right in the middle of a table. But you, you at least three. You may even find more. I might watch it again just to see if I see more. But the cats, are they cats or are they flirking? That was the question that I, I asked in the Far From Home trailer short snap. And I'm thinking they're flirking. I'm thinking that Captain Marvel's cat laid eggs or something and that these are flirking we are seeing all over the freaking place. Hopefully that's my theory. Hopefully that theory pans out. This theory about the, the snap never happening, I actually was thinking about that. I actually thought to myself, what if he never got off the bus? Because he, he made a very strong point of saying, I should have never gotten off the bus. So perhaps the timeline was set back to a point where he actually never did get off of the bus. So what do you think? Do you think that, that this in-game theory is the most feasible yet? Well, you just let me know what you think about the whole episode. Tell me what you thought about the X-Men and the Civil Rights Movement parallel. Also, give me your opinions if you've been watching Discovery, uh, The Orville, or Young Justice. Tell me what you think of those shows. And especially, especially tell me what you think of this theory because I believe it's a pretty darn good one. I made it through this episode without saying a plethora of curse words. Are you proud of me? I'm proud of me. Here are some ways that you can catch up with me because we got to talk about all these things that we just threw out there in the air. You can catch me on good old fashioned email at afterthesnap at gmail.com, Facebook after the snap, Twitter at snapafter, Instagram after the snap 2018. And you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash after the snap. That is if you'd like to make monthly donations starting at $1 per month. I'm going to need like 10 of y'all to just say, okay, I'll give you a dollar. Or you can just give me a one-time donation if you like at paypal.me slash after the snap. I have had a wonderful time talking to you here. I'm going to continue to go on today and, uh, not my day off I do have to go to work but if it's your day off do something make a difference to someone marginalized don't let this day pass by and you just sit idly make it worth it make the king's sacrifice worth it and since I have nothing else for you today I thank you thank you thank you 
so much for joining me and I'll catch you on the flip.